So launching some sort of signal, we just put something out there saying, hey, this is a thing that we're into, or this is a problem that we believe is out there in the world, or this is a thing we really want to solve and we feel strongly about. The stronger that we put that signal out there in terms of the pain we feel, the excitement we feel, and the emotion around that, the more likely the signal's going to work and the more likely someone's going to see it. From Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs, it's Ideas Elevated, the podcast that elevates innovative entrepreneurs and their ideas. I'm Danielle Kahn, head of Lift Labs, and today we're sitting down with Howard Gray. Howard is a project builder and leadership coach who guides founders and entrepreneurs to reach their full potential and their full network. He's crafted programs for execs at IBM, MasterCard, and GE. In 2017, Howard moved from London to New York City, which led to a complete personal rebrand in a completely different country. In this episode, my colleague Luke Butler chats with Howard about how an entrepreneur successfully makes a transition into a new market. You'll also hear tips on networking outside of social media, in person, and how you can turn even your local coffee shop into a new business opportunity. We join Howard now live at Lift Labs. Welcome to the latest Lift Your Story podcast uh, as part of Ideas Elevated at Lift Labs. And we're very excited to be joined today by Howard Gray, um, particularly excited to be joined by a fellow Brit. So uh, welcome to Lift Labs in Philadelphia. Likewise and likewise. I'm excited <laughs> to be joined by a fellow Brit and very happy to be here. Thank you. So Howard, you, you do a lot of work with entrepreneurs in a whole range of different areas. Just tell us a little bit about what you do and, and kind of what you're passionate about. Wow, uh, it's a big question to start with. There's a, there's a few areas. I guess the the three kind of areas they fall into. One thing I I've, I do a lot of, and I'm really interested in, is designing programs. So I guess the easiest way to put that's kind of experiential learning. So for example, the sessions like uh, the Lift Lab sessions being a good example of that. Uh, accelerator programs, which obviously you guys are doing a lot of. I'm really interested in how people learn, particularly in groups, and making learning more experiential, more hands-on. So I do a lot of program design, either designing content, designing programs, and or leading them as well. So that's one thing that I do. Uh, second thing that I do, which is one of those things um, where I think I realized I was doing it for a long, long time, but I probably was doing it for 20 years and didn't actually realize I was actually doing it, was coaching. Um, I got my coaching certification about a year ago, so mid-2018, sorry, mid-2019. I finished my coaching certification in New York. I realized I was really interested in that kind of work for a long time. Uh, when I was running a company in the media and entertainment industry, I realized one of the things I was best at and most interested in was helping my team get really good and achieve what they wanted to achieve and kind of fulfill their potential. I had no idea at the time that was what people think of as kind of exec coaching or coaching. But after moving to New York, I then became very interested in that kind of world and decided that I'd jump in and do a coaching certification. So. Now I work with mainly with founders and also a few executives at larger companies, again, mainly in media, entertainment and tech, but also outside. As a coach, sounding board, sometimes an advisor, I think the line between coaching and advisory is a, is a thin one. But yeah, I, I do a lot of that kind of work. And then the third area is kind of special projects, I guess. So that kind of falls mainly into the advisory work. Uh, yeah, I have a background doing uh, production and project management and product management kind of work. So that kind of special projects generally falls into that kind of category where it may be helping a company open on a new office, help them with hiring, launch some sort of new initiative. So really it's experiential learning program design, which kind of covers facilitation and workshops, 
coaching and then the more kind of project and production-based work. On, on the coaching side, do you see common needs across all of the founders that you work with, all the sorts of things that they come to you looking for, for you to impart your wisdom? I think the thing that's most common is, and I definitely will subscribe to this myself as well, is getting in our own way. I think all of us get in our own way. And I think kind of related to that is we're often all our own worst client. So when it comes to thinking about positioning or narrative or how we talk about what we do, lots of us are really good at helping other people with that. When it comes to turning the mirror on ourselves, it can get really, really difficult. And we often get in our own way and something that we find really easy to help someone else with, we find extremely difficult for ourselves. So getting a clear story, being able to communicate what we do, why we're positioned differently. So a lot of the work, that's probably the thing that comes up the most is just the blind spots and kind of stumbling over things that we'd find very, very easy to help someone else with. When it comes to helping ourselves, we find it difficult, which is why having somebody who knows how to ask the right questions and kind of help guide us down the right path, I think that's that's where the coaching work can be really helpful, and founders particularly. And and you you have had to go through this experience yourself on moving to a new country and and establishing your own kind of brand and and kind of story if you like a definition of you know you do so many different things how did you go about that yourself as you as you arrived here and thought i've got all of this experience i like doing all of these different sorts of things but i got to turn that into something that someone can kind of immediately connect with and get what what kind of process did you go through to do that so i think it's it's ongoing it's a, a definitely a present tense question rather than a past tense. And I think probably for everybody, it, it probably should be because I think there's so much change going on and so much more information and so many different themes emerging around work and media and entertainment and technology and everything that it's always going to be an ongoing thing. When I first moved here, I made I went on a kind of discovery mission, as I call it, to just meet as many people as possible. And also going kind of back to the the coaching thing we mentioned before, uh, just trying to listen as much as possible, trying to kind of go with the 80-20 rule of talking 20% of the time and listening for 80, and just trying to get an understanding of like the themes of what was going on in the US and New York, what people were interested in, what their challenges were, what they were frustrated by, where the gaps were. And it was really easy. It would be very easy for me to try and step my stall out and just pitch myself, but I did my best to just try and discover, learn, and and listen. And then then it got to kind of synthesizing all the stuff that I learned and matching it against what I knew I was already good at. Because I think it's very easy for me to show up and say, I do this, I do that. But actually, in a different culture or a different market, that language may not land. Something that worked well in London and people understood implicitly maybe wouldn't work here and vice versa. And just making assumptions. So I did my best to just meet as many people as possible and listen as much as I could and then match that against what I knew I was strong at. But it was definitely definitely took a little while and it's definitely still ongoing, but I think that's part of the fun as well. And when a company comes to you with a, a fairly technical product and a, and a fairly dense description of what it is that they do, how do you how do you get them to that more kind of layperson, emotional sounding description? And, and is there a kind of a process that you take them through? I don't think there's a particular process because everybody's different. You know, we all we all kind of come from different places, different life experience, different understandings, different places we want to go to. The first part, um, this is reminds me of a, a workshop I ran a, a little while ago, was the phrase acronyms break conversations. So I think as a start point, trying to break open acronyms to have better conversations, because I think within our own worlds, our own microcosms, we will to our co-founders or to our partners or to our investors, we will use acronyms all the time because it's it's quick and easy and we all get it. 
but we really made that easy assumption that the outside world obviously understand that, but they usually don't. And especially if we start layering three or four acronyms together, we lose people really quickly. So acronyms breaking conversations and then breaking acronyms to have better conversations, I think is a good start point. Something that I think when it comes to the story and narrative is this idea of kind of thinking like like Hollywood would. Now, we're very familiar with, we probably all watch movies or TV. There's probably different stories, different shows that we remember. And if we actually think about what we remember the most, there's probably like these kind of peak narrative moments of suspense or tension or the hero's journey. And so kind of taking some of those ideas from what works in our favorite cartoons or TV shows or films, we can actually apply quite a lot of that to our business and to the story we tell about why did we start the thing? Or maybe the villain in our company story is the incumbent or the annoying problem. It may not need to be the competition necessarily. It may be something that's going on in the world, maybe a villain. Are we, are we the hero? Maybe our customer's the hero. So I think, I think taking kind of either classic storytelling tropes from many, many years ago, stories have been around as, as long as humans have, or just looking very up to date and thinking about the most recent thing we saw on Netflix or on NBC Universal or whatever it would be, taking some of the ingredients of the best stories and thinking about what is it about those stories that get us excited, make us nervous, make us scared, make us happy, make us sad, and applying those into our businesses. I think that can be really, really powerful. Yeah. Um, and switching gears a little bit, once you've kind of helped a company or a founder has kind of developed this, this narrative, um, I think most companies think about are thinking about their customer. Who's that person that I need to sell my thing to? But you're here at Lift Labs tonight to talk to a group of founders about um, thinking about what their network is and how do they how do they discover that network? Explain that a little bit. How is a how is a network different than thinking about just that particular customer that you're trying to sell to? So I think thinking customer first is definitely something that's really important. And I think a lot of kind of startup education looks at that. And I think there's absolutely good reason for that. I think something that I definitely see a lot, kind of taking one step back, is just applying um, a very broad brush to customers and being very, very broad and not being specific enough. But getting to your question about customers versus networks, um, I realized that when I moved to the US, um, and, and probably throughout my career in life, like networking with a capital M was something I never really liked doing that much. But I did realize that being in smaller groups and having these kind of little clusters and little communities and these smaller networks was actually really powerful. And then going further on that, I realized that there were also these kind of deactivated or dormant networks that I hadn't really thought about. And, there's a lot, and again, going back to the idea of blind spots, when we think about the, the kind of, uh, going back to the idea of coaching and getting in our own way, we often have blind spots around networks as well. So there may be networks of people who can be incredibly valuable for us and maybe people that could be our customers or they may just be advocates or they connect us with others. And often we don't really activate those small networks and they can be really, really powerful because we can become part of that network or probably already part of the network we can create something for those people. We can create something with those people, which can be even more powerful. So I, I think this idea of looking at kind of small clusters of people who have a shared experience as us or a shared background or a shared story, that can be a really powerful way about thinking about how do we build something that people want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. How does a, a company, just in practical terms, how do they go out, go about, particularly at that very early stage, mapping out that network and thinking about what are the what are the unknown unknowns where, you know, who don't they know that they don't know? There's a few ways you can take that on. Um, a really simple exercise is literally drawing a map. So 
the way I do it is just drawing a bunch of interconnected circles. So we can probably start really close to ourselves and even just starting really close can be really interesting. So one example is uh, my local coffee shop in New York, just down the street from me, uh, called City of Saints. So it's a cheap plug for my local coffee shop. Uh, great coffee shop, they make great coffee. I go there most mornings to buy my coffee and I realized that I don't really spend much time thinking about it because I go there, I maybe say hi to the people, maybe chat to them a little bit and then leave. It's kind of felt transactional, but the coffee shop actually is a little community hub. And I realized there's a couple of big company offices down the street. There's a couple of creative companies down the street. Kept seeing the same faces, kept seeing the same people kind of reading books or working on particular projects or chatting about a certain thing or getting excited about a particular piece of music or a band. There's a, there's a gig venue next door as well. I realized that even something as seemingly mundane as my local coffee shop actually is a hidden network. There's the barista who's a DJ. They're the two people that really love reading a particular type of literature. There's the other British guy who I've never asked a question of because British <laughs> people don't do that. Um, Be rude. So, so, yeah, exactly. But I think even just starting with something seemingly mundane, like the activities we're into, the shared experience we have, it could be that we're into the same football or soccer team. It could be that we do a certain thing. We're into writing short stories and going to a workshop on that. It could be our coffee shop. So it can be something starting really kind of seemingly mundane and close to home before we zoom out and just literally drawing those out as circles and seeing where the connective tissue is, what are the common themes. So one of the things I noticed was there seems to be a lot of people who are really into reading particular types of literature in my local coffee shop and people who are really into different types of technology and people who are really into bicycles. Those are the three things that just seem to be a, a weird thing. And I'm quite into bicycles and I'm quite into technology and I'm quite into reading. And so suddenly there's this little network where we have something in common and we get to talk more and we get to, discuss, to learn more about each other. And I think these days, more now than ever, we're probably more connected yet more isolated than ever before. Yeah. And so even finding these small physical spaces and these seemingly mundane experiences like the supermarket or the coffee shop can be really great places to start. So I recommend people just draw out circles of things that even seem not directly connected to our business and also go as specific as possible. It's not going to be the group of customers. It may be the people that we did that thing with last year on that day, on that weekend in Philadelphia. It could be something really, really specific, and we can see interesting commonalities and connective tissue start to appear. Yeah, you used a phrase or uh, in in the workshop uh, at Lift Labs, which is launching a signal. This this is to find people that you don't know are part of your network and you don't really have a connection to. What what does what do you mean by launching a signal? So I'm going to attribute this to my my friend Gary Chow, who runs a really great uh, program at SVA in New York, which is a design school. Uh, they run a program called uh, Teach the 1K, which is uh, getting their students to raise $1,000 on Kickstarter in a small period of time. It sounds easy. It's really hard. Uh, they've open sourced the curriculum. So it's a re really amazing resource. And Gary shares lots of his learnings from doing that. And part of what they did in that program was this idea of how do we build networks to get people to get interested in our Kickstarter thing? And for a lot of the students, they're young people. They maybe don't have loads of connections yet on traditional networks. So they had to think about, well, if I want to do this particular thing around a cause, and I don't know how to access those people because they're not in my direct network, if I can't find them or can't access them, like, how? Do, what do I do? If I can't, if I don't know them, I don't really know where, where they hang out and they're not friends of mine already, what do I do? And they use this idea of launching a signal. The signal can be anything from a blog post to a video to holding an event to finding the other people who are into that particular weird type of literature that you're into and doing a thing at the coffee shop with three people could just be launching something into the into the air. And I find that the internet 
is an incredible resource for doing this. So launching some sort of signal, we just put something out there saying, hey, there's a thing that we're into, or this is a problem that we believe is out there in the world, or this is a thing we really want to solve and we feel strongly about. The stronger that we put that signal out there in terms of the pain we feel, the excitement we feel, and the emotion around that, the more likely the signal's going to work and the more likely someone's going to see it. So I think launching the signal is a great way of finding these other people who share this thing or share this feeling or share this experience or this background or this story. And so, yeah, I'm going to, I attribute that to Gary. Um, yeah, the Teach the 1K is an awesome program in itself, but this idea of launching a signal, I think, is really, really powerful, particularly when we're not sure how to find or access those people and those networks. And when you talk about putting stuff out there, you, I think you also talk about the fact that there'll be, there'll be a small number of people that, that create content that put those ideas out there and there'll be a bunch of people that just consume that and just see it but there'll be people that really take that and, and build it into a community talk a little bit about that that principle um, and how founders should think about kind of curating and, and cultivating that that smaller community yeah this comes from something that uh, i think it was about 2008 or so, a guy called Charles Arthur talked about in Wired magazine. And he was talking about social networks in terms of like digital social networks, like a Facebook or Twitter or similar. And this idea of one percent, he put 100 people into a, into a network of some sort, into a space, let's say a Facebook, for example. Uh, one of those people will create content. So if you had 100 people around the thing that you're doing, one of them will create something on your behalf, almost without you asking them. Uh, 90%, 90 or so, will, will just consume it. And 9% will curate it. So we usually think about the, either the 90, because those are the, that's the big audience we want to broadcast to, or we think about the one, the nerds who are so into what we're doing. Usually they're our partner or our friend or our co-founder or our investor. So we usually think about either the nine, 90 or the one. We don't usually think about the nine. And the nine is really interesting. And Charles Arthur talked about this in terms of digital networks, but I found through working with like various collaborators and various projects, that the nine also works really well with kind of all kinds of networks, whether in real real life or, or digitally. So this idea of 9% of the people being these curators who will almost use you to position themselves, to talk about the thing you do. They'll get very excited about what you do, but they're not the nerds. They won't, they won't do too much. They won't create for you without asking. You need to be a little bit careful because if you um, kind of caught them too much, they may run away because they might move on to the next thing because they're very interested in like new and next things. But then if you find a way to interact with them well, they will almost become a curator and build your brand or build your project for you. And so this idea of this 9%, and we all have a 9% of some description in our work or in our in our worlds, I think that is a really interesting lens to look through and thinking about how do we get the word out there and build the thing that we're building. Just as we're talking, there's an interesting book uh, that's coming out actually this week called Fanocracy, uh, which was written by uh, David Mirman Scott and his daughter, uh, Raiko, um, which is about some of these same principles that one, um, it's it's easier than it has ever been to communicate, but harder to connect because of just the ubiquity of of messages that we get now from uh, from brands and other organizations that it, it it feels very superficial. And so, how do you activate those people that kind of take it on themselves to become part of what you're building, regardless of what the product is, uh, but this kind of broader community that become your your fans and and turn your customers into fans that are with you almost regardless of what you're building um, because you've built this, this sense of community. So this is a particularly important topic, I think, for, for founders to think about. You know, 
this power of story and then who you're using that story to communicate with and connect with um, becomes even more important as companies become more technological and, and it, it becomes harder to, to describe what they're doing and what's different about what they're doing. Um, so thank you for, for joining us today and, and working with our founders to, to help uh, share some of the, the lessons that, that you had uh, from working with a, a number of organizations. So thank you, Ad, for being at Lift Labs. My pleasure. Thanks so much. This has been Ideas Elevated from Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. For more information and to find us on social, head to ComcastNBCULift.com or check out the show notes. Ideas Elevated is a Q9 production. This episode was hosted and produced by Kevin Schmidlin, with associate production by Angela Gervazzi, mixing and editing by Max Graham, and theme music by The Last Generation on Film. From Lift Labs, I'm Danielle Kahn. Until next time.